In the United States, many are wrapping up a Memorial Day weekend. Maybe you camped or just visited family. Maybe you rested and enjoyed an extra day off. And in Canada, it was just the beginning of a work week. Canada's May holiday was last week, Victoria Day. But the U.S. kicks off the summer season today. It's not the most extravagant of holidays. Christmas takes that one. But it's a time we get to reflect and remember those who gave their lives for our freedom. Most soldiers risked life and limb on the battlefield, and some gave the ultimate sacrifice to protect the ideals of freedom. Jesus, too, was committed to our freedom. So committed that he was willing to stand against the powers and principalities, not to risk, but to give his life. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus here on this Memorial Day Monday. And we're in a series called The Gospel in Narnia. Last week, we began to look at the unique stories that C.S. Lewis wrote, set in that mythical world of Narnia, And even though he wrote them to entertain both young and old alike, he was really pointing his readers to Jesus. So this week, we're going to be spending more time in Narnia, and we're going to see how the great series really is filled with gospel truths. But today, I want to look at the life of C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. His friends just called him Jack. But no doubt, he was one of the most significant atheist-turned-Christians of the last century. His career as an Oxford Don was in jeopardy because of his faith in Jesus. And yet he kept on writing and speaking. In a few minutes, we'll be joined from Oxford by Dr. Alistair McGrath, who has studied the life of Lewis. Well, basically, he realized that he could no longer deny the existence of God, and he embraced God in a a moment of decision, which really was a complete turning point in his life. Alistair McGrath, who, by the way, has read everything that Lewis has written with an attempt to understand the man better. You may have read the Narnia books, but what do you really know about the life and conversion of the man who wrote them? Don't go away. You're going to be blessed, I believe, by this program. And speaking of Narnia, have you heard samples from the audio drama based on the Chronicles of Narnia? Is he... is he a man? Aslan a man? (laughs) Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. A lion? Is he... is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, make no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe. Safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Just a little bit from the well-produced Focus on the Family radio theater, The Chronicles of Narnia. All seven books dramatically told with an original cinematic score, sound effects, great voice acting, 
that creates kind of a movie in your mind as you listen. So many from our team here at Haven Today have listened to this in their cars. They travel here and there, and they've discovered a problem. When they get where they're going, they don't want to quit listening and get out of the car. They have to finish the scene that they're listening to. Well, that's how powerful this 19-CD audio production is. C.S. Lewis wrote these books with Christian themes. So it's a great way to start conversations with kids and adults about the great story that's all about Jesus. As you listen, I believe it'll resonate with your faith in Christ Jesus and bring you great joy. So for your minimal gift, more if you possibly can, I want to send you a special edition collector's tin containing all seven original stories nearly 22 hours of entertainment, and we'll get it to you with our thanks for your gift to this listener-supported ministry. The number to call after the program is 800-654-2836. 800-654-2836. Or if you've got an extra moment, go to our website and listen to samples from the production, and then you can make your gift there at haventoday.org. Haven Today. Now let's open the program with Graham Kendrick from England and Knowing You, Jesus. All I was, how dear, built my life upon all this world reveals and wars to own all I once thought gain I Lost, spent and worthless now Compared to this Knowing you, Jesus Knowing you There is no greater thing You're my listening to a series called The Gospel in Narnia. 
This is Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, I want us to go back to an interview that I did a few years back with Dr. Alistair McGrath. He's a Canadian by birth. His mom lives in Edmonton, but he is a professor at Oxford, and he's spent a lot of time studying the works and life of C.S. Lewis. So when we began our conversation, I asked Alistair to share who Lewis was and a little bit about his life story. Well, C.S. Lewis, I think, is one of the greatest literary figures of the 20th century. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. The books sell very well. But, of course, the movies have opened Lewis up to a new generation. And Lewis began as an atheist. I think it's one of the most interesting things about him. People tend to forget that this guy who we remember as a great writer, a great Christian apologist, really began as someone who didn't like God at all. Lewis grew up and reacted against God. He fought in the First World War and said, where's God in the midst of all this suffering? And then he went up to Oxford, and at Oxford he began to began to think through things through all over again, and began to realize that the case for God was compelling. And so Lewis became, in his own words, the most reluctant convert in all England. That's really it in a nutshell, uh, of course, but let's drill a little bit deeper into his background. He actually fought in World War I. He was in the trenches. But it's been said that uh, the death of his mother back in um, Ireland affected him more than fighting in uh, the Great War of World War I. What do you think? I think the death of Lewis's mother in August 1908 really shattered the security of his life. And we need to remember that Lewis wasn't even 10 years old at the time. And his mother was the basis of the family life. She was the one who held everything together. And when his mother died so slowly and painfully from cancer, Lewis really felt his life had just fallen to bits. And in some ways, you know, the trauma Lewis experienced in the First World War a decade later, I think it was less than this terrible experience he had of his mother's death when he was so young. Mm. Alistair, there is this term reluctant prophet, which you use in referring to him. He really wasn't a Christian. Uh, He was an atheist, as I recall. And uh, just tell us a little bit more about how he became a believer in Christ in an environment where there weren't many believers, Oxford University. Well, Oxford during the 1920s was quite hostile to Christianity. And Lewis Lewis really began to demonstrate he was incredibly intelligent and a very able scholar indeed. But although Lewis went up to Oxford in 1919 as an atheist, he, he began to realize that he hadn't sorted everything out. And he began to reflect and reconsider. And by the mid-1920s, Lewis was clearly beginning to realize that things weren't quite as straightforward as he thought. And we find Lewis, in effect, having this decisive conversion experience, maybe in 1929, I think in 1930, where basically he realized that he could no longer deny the existence of God, and he embraced God in a, in a moment of decision, which really was a complete turning point in his life. And I think that's very important because we need to remember that Lewis is a great Christian apologist. And in many ways, one of the reasons that he's such a good apologist is that he used to be an atheist. He knew what atheists think, and he was able to refute the own arguments he used to defend his own atheism. So I think he's a remarkable case of somebody whose conversion set up his career as a Christian apologist. Mm. We should talk about his friendship with Tolkien of uh, Lord of the Rings fame. Tolkien was a believer, was a Christian, 
and had a, a tremendous impact, didn't he, on, on Lewis coming to faith in Christ? Well, J.R.R. Tolkien became one of Lewis's closest friends. They first met in 1925, and they began to realize they had interests in common. But Lewis was suspicious of Tolkien. Tolkien was a Christian. Lewis was not. Mm. And the mm. two men began to talk about Christian things. And actually, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Tolkien may have been the person who moved Lewis from simply believing in God to believing in Christianity. And I think Tolkien, in many ways, has to be singled out as a person who had a decisive influence on Lewis's spiritual growth. And of course, Lewis helped Tolkien as well. Lewis began to read some of the stuff that Tolkien was writing, which we now know as the Lord of the Rings, and said, this is great stuff. You need to keep going with this. You need to publish this. And the result was that masterpiece that we remember as the Lord of the Rings. Mm. And Lewis himself gave us a little glimpse in his own writing of when he did meet Jesus, didn't he? Yes, he does. In, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he talks about being driven to Whipsnade Zoo. And when he began the journey, he didn't really think Jesus was the son of God. When he ended the journey, he did. And Lewis says, look, I, I can't quite work out what happened, but it's as if things fell into place. And Lewis began to realize that the Christian way of looking at things made, made perfect sense, that this was the way in which he could look at the world and make sense of it and also make sense of himself. And so in many ways, Lewis began to realize that Christianity was something that really helped him to figure out what the world was all about, what his own life was all about. And all the pieces began to fall to fall together, really, in that journey from Oxford to Ipsnade Zoo. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today, and uh, we're on with Dr. Alistair McGrath. He's coming to us from Oxford, England. And thank you so much for joining us on the program. And I guess I'm looking at today. Uh, he started writing screw tape letters in the 40s. He wrote Mere Christianity coming out of conversations on the BBC in, in World War II. Do you think he's just as relevant today as when he first wrote and spoke? I think Lewis speaks very powerfully to us today. He, he says some very good things, but he also says them very well. And for me, Lewis really retains so much of his power. And that's partly because Lewis is really very good. But I think it's also partly because there's nobody really who's emerged to, to take Lewis's place. So I think that Lewis is good for a number of reasons. I think one point to make particularly, I think, is that Lewis is very good at showing how Christianity engages with the imagination. Yes, Christianity makes sense of things, it appeals to the reason, but Lewis is able to show, particularly through the Chronicles of Narnia, how the Christian way of looking at things captivates the imagination. It makes you say, my goodness, that is so exciting. And Lewis, I think, does that far better than many more recent writers. So I very much hope that one day someone will come along who's better than Lewis, but for the moment we've got Lewis and I'm very happy about that. Mm. You know, I don't want to spend all our time just praising a human being here. He had, uh, while he was brilliant, uh, while he was an Oxford Don at the end of his life, he was a Cambridge uh, professor for a couple of years. He didn't have an easy life, did he? Well, Lewis wasn't just a writer. He was a human being who had friends, who had relationships, and who, of course, had family. And with the death of his mother, I think it's fair to say his brother, Warren, really became very, very important to him. And in the 1930s, Lewis managed to arrange for his brother to, to join him at Lewis's home in Oxford. So, in effect, they recreated the, the old family in Lewis's home. Mm. And at that time, Lewis was living with Mrs. Moore. Now, Mrs. Moore is a complicated figure. We don't 
really understand that relationship between Lewis and Mrs. Moore, but she was the mother of one of Lewis's closest friends who was killed in the First World War. And later in life, Lewis began to develop other relationships. And the most important of these, of course, is Joy Davidman, who eventually married. And Lewis, I think, really didn't didn't have any aspirations to get married, but actually fell in love with Joy Davidman. And I think he fell in love especially with Joy Davidman when it became clear that she had developed cancer. Mm. And, you know, it may be there's a throwback here to his mother dying from cancer in 1908. It may be that realizing he was going to lose Joy through cancer made Lewis love her all the more. So certainly mm. that's a very significant relationship in the later Lewis's life in the late 1950s. And there's no doubt that Joy's death from cancer in 1960 devastated Lewis and actually led to him writing to what I think is one of his best books. It's a book called A Grief observed that mm-hmm. appeared in 1961. Mm. It, it is true. The man was certainly human. And there was another side. I remember being at his church once and someone who was there at the time uh, when he was alive told me that he and his brother Warning were quite shy and uh, he was becoming more famous. Uh, he didn't want the attention he was receiving. And so they would slip out before the final prayer for fear that some brash American would be wanting to come up to them and ask for an autograph or something. What was he really like as a human being? Well, he was slightly shy, not with his friends. He he was a brash, he was a jovial figure with people he knew well. But with outsiders, Lewis did come across as being slightly withdrawn, even shy. And certainly that experience at church, which you've mentioned, which is well backed up by evidence, you know, it illustrates that very well. Lewis, Lewis was slightly withdrawn with people who he didn't know. And he was also reluctant about fame. I think that Lewis was taken by surprise by the extent to which his his books were read and valued, and he found it a little bit difficult to cope with the fame. And I think one of the things I see in some of Lewis's letters is this feeling, look, I'm becoming famous, I'm becoming important, I can't cope with this. It's going to damage me as a person. I think that's an important insight. Lewis was realizing that fame casts a shadow over people, and sometimes they can't actually cope with their celebrity status. And actually, mm. I think Lewis coped quite well with it, whereas yes. some of those who've also experience fame, I think, have been you know, torn apart by it. Alistair, let's talk about the war, World War II. Here was Churchill. I was just reading uh, a new biography that came out on Churchill, the William Manchester final volume, and Churchill was not a religious man, and yet he saw the value of religion and knew that the people needed their Christian faith in England to get them through the war. Lewis took it even another step forward, though, because he was a believer in Christ. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about his writing and and how he encouraged people uh, in their faith in the war. Well, the Second World War in England was was very, very difficult. For a start, for several years, Britain was struggling on its own, and people began to think, maybe we're going to lose this war. So there was a sense of deep anxiety, and Churchill certainly realized that. And the BBC asked Lewis to be, in effect, the voice of faith for the nation, to speak on issues of faith. And Lewis actually rose to that challenge very, very well. He had a Mm. beautiful speaking voice. He was able to communicate very, very effectively. And he reassured people. He unpacked Christianity and showed its relevance during those dark days of the war. And certainly, I think Lewis began to emerge as one of the best known voices in England. He explained what Christianity was. He showed why it mattered. 
he made connections with life, and certainly Lewis was one of those people who helped England to keep going during those very dark years at the beginning of the Second World War. And of course, we know uh, those those lectures, those uh, talks on the BBC went on to become the book Mere Christianity, and the Lord has used that book in a lot of lives of a lot of people to lead them to faith, hasn't he? Yes, indeed. I mean, The Mere Christianity, I think, is one of Lewis's best books. And as you rightly said, it's basically a revision, a very light revision of those wartime talks. And, you know, maybe things have changed a bit, but the power of that book remains. When you read Mere Christianity, you begin to realize something of both Lewis's ability to explain things, to to captivate the imagination of his audience, but also, of course, and maybe more importantly, the immense riches of the Christian faith faith itself. And it's no wonder that book has sold so well and indeed still remains one of the books that most Christians regard as the best expression of the Christian faith. Hmm. Alistair, thank you so much for joining me here in the program today. Charles, it's been a very great pleasure and it's a great joy to talk about Lewis. I wonder if it's locked. It isn't. Oh, fur coats. I love fur coats. There was nothing Lucy liked so much as the smell and feel of fur. Mm. She immediately stepped into the wardrobe and got in among the coats and rubbed her face against them, Mm. leaving the door open, of course, because she knew that it was very foolish to shut oneself up into any wardrobe. Soon she went further in and found... Oh, there's a second row of coats. It was almost quite dark in there, and she kept her arms stretched out in front of her so as not to bump her face into the back of the wardrobe. She took a step further in, then two or three steps, always expecting to feel woodwork against the tips of her fingers, but she didn't. This must be a simply enormous wardrobe. What is that? Mothballs? It feels cold. This is very strange. Ouch! Lucy was no longer rubbing her face against soft fur, but against something hard and rough and even prickly. It feels like branches of trees. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her, not a few inches away where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off. Something cold and soft was falling on her. A moment later, she found that she was standing in the middle of a wood at night time with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air. What? These are trees. Am I in a wood? But it doesn't make sense. I can see the wardrobe back through the trees, even the daylight of the room. Shall I go forward? Hmm. I can always get back if anything goes wrong. I do wonder what that light is. In about ten minutes, she reached the source of the light. It's a lamppost. That magical moment when Lucy enters Narnia for the first time. That's from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and this is Haven Today at a program called The Gospel in Narnia. And what we just heard is a portion from the radio drama produced by Focus on the Family's Radio Theater, based on the Chronicles of Narnia. Isn't it fun to listen to? 
But it's more than just entertaining. It's full of the gospel in a new setting. Sometimes we become so familiar with the story of Jesus, it doesn't sink into our hearts. Have you ever been there before? I have. Well, that's one of the reasons C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia for people like you and me. He imagines the story of Jesus in a completely different world. I think these stories will help you get past the watchful dragons of familiarity, as Lewis called them, so that you can more clearly see the truth and the goodness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. This radio dramatization of the Narnia novels with cinematic quality sound and an all-star cast of actors really comes alive in your mind. I believe the truths you hear in these stories will resonate with your faith and bring joy to your heart. So for your minimal gift to the ministry, I want to send you a special edition collector's tin that contains all seven original stories. That's on 19 discs, nearly 22 hours of listening as my thank you for your gift to the ministry. Would you please call us right now and make the best gift you possibly can, but ask for the Chronicles of Narnia. The number is 800 654 2836. That's 800-654-2836. Or go online and listen to samples from the production and then make your gift at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. And on this Memorial Day Monday, as the month of May is almost over, I'd like to invite you to become a Haven partner. That's somebody who agrees to pray regularly but give automatically monthly to help us share Jesus with others. Ask about becoming a partner when you call or read about it at haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again together we get to share the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. If dependence is the goal, then weakness is a strength. That's Paul's message in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. Through Jesus, we have access to the Spirit's power, which can transform our lives and lead us to glorify the Lord. And in that power, we find the courage to face our weaknesses and the confidence to embrace them. It's not about overcoming in our own strength. It's only when we recognize our weakness that we become open to receiving the Lord's strength. No matter what we face, Jesus, our great King, is with us. So lean in to Christ's power and trust His goodness, knowing that in great weakness, His strength is made perfect. Spend more time with Jesus. Visit GetAnchor.com.